1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're just two days away from the start of Mission Connection 2023. This year it's at Sunset Church. You're invited to participate Friday night, all day Saturday. It's absolutely free because churches in our area have underwritten the cost Of this conference. It's that important. We want to make sure that everyone who wants to come can come and have access to the latest information on missions around the world. You'll be encouraged, inspired, and challenged. Friday night and all day Saturday. It's free of charge, but you do need to register. So you can begin at kpdq.com. All the important details and links can be found there. And we hope to see you at Mission Connection. We'll be broadcasting live from 4 to 6 on Friday. And then I will be uh, joining the uh, leadership on the stage to MC the event. So we're looking forward to a great time of seeing God move, of seeing where he's moving today and has been for this past year and looking ahead to, well, what's next. That's Mission Connection 2023, Sunset Church this weekend. Well, today happens to be Dan Rice Day. Now, I've been talking with uh, Hallmark for years trying to get this on the calendar. You know, on your phone, it just pops up what day it is. I've tried to turn that thing off because there are some days that they uh, they present that I'm not at all interested in or might even oppose. But nonetheless, uh, Dan Rice Day has yet to appear pre-printed on calendars or to pop up on your uh, devices. But today is Dan Rice Day. We'll be celebrating uh, my wonderful husband's birthday. Uh, Later today, but I just wanted to remind you, as I know many of you have been, uh, you know, anticipating your own celebrations in your own homes. I know uh, James has already told me what he plans to do in celebration of James uh, of Dan Rice Day later in the day. So You may have some plans of your own. Well, today we're looking forward to a conversation with Mary Ho. She is international executive leader of the nation of all nations. It's a global Christian missions organization, and they work to make disciples and church planting in 45 countries. They take the Great Commission very seriously and uh, want to reflect um, faithfulness and a commitment to fulfilling God's purposes in the earth. She'll join us because she's one of the plenary speakers. In fact, she'll be speaking on Saturday night, the final speaker of Mission Connection. She'll join us in the 5 o'clock hour to talk a little bit about herself and the work that they're doing, and maybe just a bit of a glimpse of what we can expect at Mission Connection on Saturday night, the closing session of that uh, great conference. She'll be joining us in the next hour. We'll also let you know where, um, which nations top the list of the most dangerous countries for Christians can help us know how to pray for those uh, with whom we have a connection through our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. That'll be later in the five o'clock hour as well. And I'll apologize ahead of time. I have been uh, suffering through a cough that has persisted for literally weeks. I think I can say correctly. It's been months And um, I went and saw someone today. We've got some uh, some ideas that might help, but I will be coughing and there will be some congestion. So, again, I apologize. Well, first, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. The Oregon legislature kicked off its 2023 legislative session yesterday, one marked by new leadership and a busy agenda. Nothing new there. Over the next five months, five months, this is the longer version. Uh, there will be hundreds of bills introduced, some of which will become new laws. Hundreds of millions of dollars will be directed to state agencies and initiatives all across the state. The proceedings can be fascinating. They can be tense, and often they can be downright boring, and, well, they can make you mad. At least for the outside observer. Regardless, the legislative session can have a big potential impact on the lives of ordinary Oregonians. So if you can, poise... um To listen a little bit to what's happening there, Tuesday was the first legislative opening day since the COVID-19 pandemic began where lobbyists and members of the public were allowed in the Capitol. That's pretty cool. The change of uh, pace brought with it a, a low thrum of excitement together again. Well, the first day of the session is also customarily when the House and the Senate will set their expectations and lay out their agendas at noon Uh, The Senate conference room where Democratic leaders uh, shared their legislative priorities, highlighting affordable housing, houselessness, that's what they call it now, and issues of law and order. Senator James Manning has been working on a plan for universal health care and will again push for that this season in Oregon, saying, and I'm quoting from KGW, my bill under the concept of universal health care will actually save a billion dollars a year. In addition to that, our current health care system, not everybody is uh, covered. This universal health care system will cover everyone, Manning said, end quote. Well, Senator Floyd Proznak, chair of the uh, Public Safety and Justice Committee, said lawmakers will work to make the uh, the gun restrictions in Measure 114 something that is easy to implement and can avoid getting tied up in the court. Well, good luck with that. There's a lot to, uh, to question. He said uh, he also said that lawmakers will try to adjust Measure 110, which decriminalized user amounts of all drugs. That hasn't worked out particularly well. He wants to lower the limit for the amount of fentanyl a person can have before it's considered More than just a user amount. Basically, if you've got more than a certain number of pills, measure 110 wouldn't protect you from criminal charges. We will be looking at what is the uh, breaking point as something being personal use uh, quantity as um, to what isn't, he said. Now, I would imagine fentanyl use at all should be discouraged, but I live in Oregon. He went on to say, as we know, fentanyl. Um, has under uh, unfortunately shown its ugliness, the strength and potency of it, and so you will probably see something that seems to be smaller in size and personal use than you would for someone else uh, because of the ramifications end quote. well opening day didn't run perfectly as Senate Democrats were beginning their meeting. something unexpected happened almost immediately. the recording for their digital stream abruptly stopped. Senate President Rob Wagner began his remarks, a minor glitch quickly fixed, but it resulted in peals of rueful laughter. It was also clear that the Democrats, who once again control the Oregon Senate, have been reminded to say that they looked forward to working with their Republican colleagues, something multiple lawmakers hit on. But as one reporter pointed out, Republicans weren't invited to be part of that presentation might be more telling than the comment. Meanwhile, on the Oregon House side of the Capitol, Democratic Speaker Dan Rayfield held a news conference with Republican leader Vicki Breeze Iverson that sounded more promising in terms of collaboration. Well, on Monday, the story ran um, an interview with Oregon's new former Senate president, Peter Courtney. He's the uh, longest serving lawmaker in the state history, and he decided last year at 79 not to run for reelection. As of Tuesday, he was truly out of the game at home, raking leaves and still trying to figure out what he's going to do in the days ahead. Well, lots of us will be uh, raking leaves and wondering what will happen in the days ahead as the state legislature has convened. And this is the long version. So while their days are numbered, there are more of them. We'll try to follow as closely as we can to some of the mischief coming out of Salem. Well, on the brink of hitting the nation's legal borrowing limit on Thursday, the government is resorting to extraordinary measures to avoid a default. We're talking about the federal level. Sounds ominous, but take a breath. The phrase technically refers to a bunch of accounting workarounds. Accounting. Well, because the debt cap limits, the uh, issuance of government bonds, the way the U.S. borrows money, these workarounds shifts money among the U.S. um, accounts. And should keep the government open through at least June, according to a letter last week by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. In theory, President Joe Biden and Congress are supposed to use that additional time to work out an agreement to raise the nation's legal $31.38 trillion debt ceiling. Well, these talks grow heated. They go down to the wire with major economic damage in the balance. But there have been roughly 80 deals to raise or suspend the borrowing cap Since the 1960s, nothing new here, but there is something to see. What could be worrisome is not the existence of extraordinary measures, but what happens if they're exhausted this summer without a deal in place. Economists have warned that that could lead to a global financial crisis. So far, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and uh, President Biden are playing uh, what could be a dangerous game of chicken with the world's largest economy in the middle. Some questions and answers of the situation. What are extraordinary measures? These accounting uh, schemes, if you will. Well, Yellen's Friday letter listed two measures that will uh, begin this month in order to prevent the government from defaulting. First, the government's going to temporarily suspend payments to the retirement, disability and health benefits funds for federal employees. That doesn't sound good. Second, suspend the reinvestment of maturing government bonds in the retirement savings accounts of government workers. By suspending the payments, the government can reduce the amount of outstanding debt that enables the Treasury Department to keep financing government operations, according to Yellen's letter. So what allows Treasury to use these measures? Well, no dispute there. Congress has given Treasury the authority to do just that because these are retirement accounts. No one is uh, harmed by the government's equivalent of an IOU, at least not yet. And only if they actually pay it back. The funds are made whole after a debt ceiling increase or suspension becomes law. It's not necessarily the measure that can harm the economy. but Rather, the doubts among consumers and businesses about whether lawmakers will increase the borrowing cap. And how big are these retirement funds? Well, there were $986 billion in net assets of the Civil Service and Federal Employees Retirement Funds at the end of fiscal 2021, according to a report by the Office of Personal Management. It's more personnel. The uh, uh, the required government contributions to the funds are large enough to rely on these extraordinary measures for roughly five months. So we'll talk more about that when we come back. But I've been told we need to take a break so we're going to do just that you're listening to the georgine rice show back in a moment
1: you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: hey we're back you're listening to the georgine rice show we're talking about the uh, the debt limit and whether or not it's going to be raised lowered negotiated what happens next how common is this back and forth, this shell game, if you will? Well, Treasury secretaries and every administration over recent decades and note recent decades have used these extraordinary measures when necessary. Yellen wrote in her letter. The measures were first deployed in 85 and have been um, used at least 16 times since then, according to the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, which is a fiscal watchdog. Well, why do we um, have a debt limit at all, you might wonder? Well, before World War I, Congress needed to approve each bond issuance. The debt limit was created as a workaround to finance the war effort without um, needing a constant series of votes, which... In retrospect, in hindsight, might have been a better way of doing it. Since then, a tool created to make it easier for the government to function has become a source of dysfunction, stoking partisan warfare, creating economic risk as the debt has increased in size over the last 20 years. And my guess is we'll continue to do just that. Well, how risky is this brinkmanship this time around? Well, it looks alarming and it's not clear how the president, McCarthy and the Democrat Senate We'll find a common ground. A default could cause millions of job losses, a deep recession that would reverberate globally and, ironically, higher interest rates that would make it harder to manage the federal debt. Hmm. Well, McCarthy said Tuesday that talks should begin immediately on the potential spending cuts that Republicans are seeking in exchange for raising the debt limit, even though the administration has equated that uh, demand to holding the U.S. economy hostage. Who wants to put the nation in some type of threat at the last minute of the debt ceiling, McCarthy said. Nobody wants to do that. That's why we're asking. Let's change our behavior now. Let's sit down. The administration wants the borrowing cap increased without any preconditions. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on Tuesday ruled out holding talks with McCarthy. So it's not really getting off to a very good start, as you can as you can hear. Do debt limit showdowns help reduce government debt, one might ask? Well, not so much. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that annual budget deficits will grow from roughly a trillion dollars, one trillion, to more than two trillion over the next 10 years. The imbalance over the coming years increasingly reflects government expenses for programs like Medicare and Social Security that are outstripping tax revenue. And, of course, they're not going to deal with that. That suggests the government would need severe cuts to spend. Uh, to spending, major tax hikes, and some combination of those um, options. Those are the only things on the table that aren't really on the table. In 2011, when Barack Obama was president and Biden was vice president, there was a bipartisan deal to raise the debt limit by $900 billion in return for a $917 billion worth of automatic spending cuts over 10 years. That's essentially what uh, Republicans, some, are asking for this time around. But the debt reduction never fully materialized. I know, I'm shocked, too. After Donald Trump became president, that was in 2017, Republican lawmakers fueled further debt increases by passing deficit-financed tax cuts. Debt accelerated even more with the start of the new coronavirus pandemic in 2020, which caused massive government borrowing in order to pull the U.S. out of the deep recession, and that's not to even mention the significant government spending, Well, the CBO last year estimated that the U.S. debt would exceed $40 trillion in 2032. Now, it might be something to shrug your shoulders about today, but it will at some point have a significant impact on what the federal government is able to do, how much you're taxed, and those benefits that you're expecting as um, you get a bit older may or may not be available to you if uh, the reins are not pulled at some point in the not-too-distant future. We'll follow this story as it's sort of a repeat, but it may have a twist or two that's less familiar. While Republicans um, have listed some of the unanswered questions in the Biden classified documents case, And uh, are asking if there's evidence of the destruction of some documents, as again, the story is continuing to build. It's like when you put some chewing gum in your mouth and it starts out, it's just one piece, but then it seems to get larger and larger the longer you chew it. Well, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. That's what Representative Mike Johnson He's a Republican out of Louisiana, a member of the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, as he listed some of his concerns about the discovery of classified material found at President Joe Biden's Wilmington home. Now, this is in addition to his think tank where material was also found. What we're seeing is another glaring example, he said, of the Biden's Department of Justice applying justice based on, poli- on politics. There's no other way to see this. There are a lot of questions that are, um, I believe, um, and our committee, uh, certainly on my House Judiciary Committee, are going to uh, to go after, he told uh, in an interview, Neil Cavuto, the logs and who visited that that house are critically important. Of course, we know there were no logs kept if they didn't write it down anywhere. Neil, uh, speaking to the interviewer, we're going to have to seek those answers some other way. We may have to subpoena members of the Biden family and others who may have worked at the residence to find out who was there. Why? Because we had critical, very highly sensitive classified information there. And among the people who uh, listed that as a residence, by the way, is Hunter Biden himself in recent years. So we have a lot to seek answers to, he said. And if the Department of Justice will not supply it, we will have to get it another way. So that story is continuing to build. And my expectation is there will be investigations into further details in the days ahead. Meanwhile, the Justice Department on Tuesday asked an appeals court to reverse an April 2022 ruling that overturned the CDC's public transportation mask mandate. While appearing before a three-judge panel in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, Justice Department uh, Brian Springer, he argued that the CDC should have the authority to declare universal mask requirements during a public health crisis, such as the COVID pandemic. It is necessary to prevent the possible infections and deaths that would result if people didn't do the simple thing of just putting on a mask while they're traveling, Springer argued, according to Reuters. Now, we won't go into whether or not masks are effective. Uh, f- the freedom of those who are concerned to wear them and others not to, we'll leave that for another day. But U.S. District Judge Karen uh, Kimball. I think it's Mizell, ruled last year that the CDC's mask mandate violated the Administrative Procedures Act because it was implemented without um, allowing public participation through the APA's notice and comment procedures. Well, Mizell, the judge appointed by former President Donald Trump in 2020, found that the mandate lacked specificity. For instance, it did not uh, differentiate between kinds of masks based on their efficacy at blocking transmission. The rule did not discriminate between cloth masks and N-92 medical grade masks, including only a footnote directing readers uh, to CDC guidance on attributes of acceptable masks. The day after Mizell's decision was handed down, the Justice Department announced it would appeal but not seek an emergency stay, meaning the mandate would not be enforced pending litigation. Well, in court on Tuesday, attorney Brant Hathaway, representing the original plaintiffs who filed a lawsuit to eliminate the mandate, questioned why the CDC did not pursue an immediate decision, given that the pandemic is still ongoing in spring of 2022. Well, this is not about an urgent matter of public health, Hathaway said. If the administration felt restoring the mandate was an imperative and a matter of life and death, it would have taken emergency action back in April. Well, Mizell noted that the CDC's uh, power to impose the mandate had to be derived from a specific line of the Public Health Service Act, which allows public health measures that provide for inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, pest extermination, destruction and other measures. Well, the government claimed uh, the mask mandate fell under the sanitation clause. Well, Mizell rejected that uh, uh, stretch in logic on the grounds that sanitation is strictly limited to Cleaning measures. Wearing a mask cleans nothing. At most, it traps uh, virus droplets, but it neither sanitizes the person wearing the mask nor sanitizes the conveyance Uh, because the CDC required mask wearing as a measure to keep something clean, explaining that it uh, limits the spread of covid-19 through prevention, but never contending that it actively destroys or removes it. The mask mandate falls outside of that uh, provision, the order said. Well, Mizell agreed with the suing parties that the mandate was capricious and arbitrary and that the CDC failed to the reasoned explanation standard for imposing it. Well, follow that story if, when and however it develops. The Associated Press recently released a guide for news outlets for reporting on abortion that's so biased in favor of the procedure, its guidance often runs contrary to medical science, which, of course, we're told is everything. Well, the new guide has the ability to significantly distort how Americans perceive the abortion issue. We'll talk more about that when we come back in a moment, but I need to take a quick break. Just a reminder as well, we'll be talking with Dr. Mary Ho, international executive leader of, of All Nations, a global Christian missions organization, and one of the uh, plenary speakers at Mission Connection this weekend. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Just before the break, we were talking about the media style guide that's pushing abortion propaganda over accurate reporting. Well, the Associated Press recently released a guide for news outlets for reporting on the subject. Well, the AP's abortion topical guide is part of the widely used AP style book that many outlets across the country, including the Daily Signal, Washington Post, New York Times, Uh, Use as a guide for everything from grammar to punctuation to best practices for terms and phrasing. So it's a big deal. One glaring problem among many, the guide frequently cites the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to back up its guidance. Well, the ACOG claims to be the premier professional membership organization of OBGYNs. But on the issue of abortion, the procedure that most OBGYNs don't perform... ACOG is wholly committed to lobbying for extreme abortion policies that don't reflect its membership's views over and over. The AP guide cites ACOG in suggestions for writers. For instance, it tells writers to refer to cardiac activity instead of heartbeat when referring to the well heartbeat, which is detectable via ultrasound from the very early stages of life. Cardiac activity. Not refer to unborn children as pain capable until after at least 24 weeks. This will be news to doctors who perform surgeries on children in utero and use anesthesia for those under 24 weeks. It's also contrary to the massive and still growing body of research demonstrating children have the capacity to feel pain at 15 weeks or even earlier. Another of the style guide suggestions, avoid giving credence to the abortion pill reversal process, a process in which a woman takes a hormone called progesterone to counteract the effects of the abortion pill, mefepistrone. I can never say that word. Well, the guidance claims falsely that there's no scientific evidence that abortion pill reversal is safe or effective. Never use the word late or rather the term late term abortion. So this is what um, the style guide that the media is using to guide them and how to discuss these issues. Well, the guide also leaves out key facts about emergency contraception. Women take such drugs after unprotected um, sex or if their birth control fails. The guide says that these drugs are used to prevent pregnancy but did not end the pregnancy. Well, they do just that. Perhaps the AP should read the label for Ella, one such popular drug. It notes that the drug could prevent implantation of a fertilized egg. This is a huge problem for anyone who reads the science and knows that a new life with a unique set of DNA separate from the father and the mother begins before implantation when sperm and egg meet at fertilization. Well, the guide um, mag- magnanimously says pregnant women or woman seeking abortion are acceptable phrasing, but the guide also suggests using transgender-friendly terms like pregnant people, which denies the biological reality that only women can get pregnant. He wants to deal with reality after all? Well, surprisingly, the guide advises against overly clinical language, such as people with uterus or birthing people. It's a low bar to avoid this kind of absurdity, so no bonus points to AP here for letting common sense prevail, at least for a moment. The guide obscures the, the mission and the goal of pro-life pregnancy resource centers. And, of course, they would never refer to them as pro-life. They're always anti-abortion. Indeed, the guide claims the name itself is misleading and that such centers are fixated on preventing abortion and nothing else. Of course, that proves they know nothing about these centers. To be sure of the people who serve women, babies and families at these centers want to prevent abortions. But they're, that's not all they do. And the AP guide uh, diminishes the scope of their life-saving work. As explained, pregnancy resource centers provide services such as pregnancy tests, counseling on available options, including parenting, adoption and abortion, ultrasound testing for and treatment of sexually transmitted diseases, classes for prenatal care and parenting, material assistance with things like diapers, baby clothes and supplies, post-abortion support, medical referrals, assistance navigating additional assistance options and more. But the AP sums that up into they're only concerned about the one thing. Well, these pregnancy centers are on the front lines of the helping of helping pregnant women in need of building a culture of life across the country. The AP guide's uh, recommendation to simply call them anti-abortion centers is a blatant attempt to hide their life-saving work. But of course, that's not altogether surprising. Well, the AP guide misses the mark throughout. Of course, that's inevitable when the goal is not objective reporting on fact, but rather promoting a pro-abortion. set of ideas and propaganda try as the AP might it's a fool's errand to put lipstick on a pig words matter and we'll keep calling a heartbeat a heartbeat pregnancy resource centers by their names and late-term abortion just that because the truth compels us to do so Well, the Pro-Life Pregnancy Center Network is taking matters into its own hands and hiring private investigators to find pro-abortion terrorists who attacked its medical office, claiming that the FBI is slow walking its probe, which has not resulted in any arrests or any progress, as that can be seen. Compass Care is partnering with the Thomas More Society, a nonprofit law firm fighting for religious liberty, to hire private investigators to find the perpetrators on its own terms and timeline. After talking with our investigators so far, they've already provided very valuable insights that we didn't know. And they do have a, a track uh, a track record of identifying terrorists both internationally and domestically. Compass Care CEO Jim Harden told the National Review. Compass Care's Buffalo's location was firebombed and vandalized back in June by a pro-abortion extremist a group claiming to be affiliated with the group James Revenge following the leak to, of the Supreme Court reversal of Roe v. Wade. The damage cost the organization $100,000 in new security. After rebuilding for 52 days, the center reopened its doors to patients. Pregnancy resource centers often provide an alternative to abortion, including free medical and financial support to pregnant and new mothers. Security alone at all three of their centers has cost $150,000 this year. And the next budget will probably cost an additional $80,000 every year. Mission accomplished, I suppose, for Jane's Revenge. Harden told uh, National Review at that time that uh, he even had to temporarily relocate his family due to the doxing threats from pro-abortion activists. Well, after the arson attack against Compass Care in Buffalo, Jane's Revenge claimed responsibility in an online memorandum. It also threatened to unleash a rampage of violence against pro-life clinics. Over the summer, the FBI announced it would investigate attacks on pregnancy resource centers across the country as acts of domestic violent extremism after 124 Republican members of Congress urged the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Carlin to do so. Little progress has yet to be made. However, Harden has also alleged for four months that the FBI has been delaying the investigation into the violence against 77 pro-life clinics nationwide. For example, the agency didn't conduct a forensic analysis of the Compass Care video surveillance footage until the 13th of July, five weeks after the attack. The FBI advertised a $25,000 reward for information that would lead to an arrest of the arsonists, but Compass Care called that a ruse designed to feign interest in the investigation. Hardin said Compass Care would likely take the FBI reward to offset the expense of hiring the private investigators if they apprehend suspects. If the FBI is interested in quelling the nationwide hate crimes against Christian pro-life organizations, They would offer a reward for information leading to the arrest of all 78 attacks, not just for the pro-abortion terrorists who firebombed one facility, Harden said. It's a sad day when private citizens are left to do the work of law enforcement. But, of course, we're seeing that in many ways all across the Fruited Plain, as law enforcement have been uh, shunned by communities all across the country. Well, a Christian ice hockey player took a public stand for his faith against his team's embrace of LGBT activism. He wasn't an activist. He wasn't trying to make a political point, but he did stand true to his convictions. Ivan Provorov, an ice hockey defenseman and alternate captain for the Philadelphia Flyers in the National Hockey League, declined to wear the team's LGBT warm-up jersey for the Pride Night Tuesday following the team's 5-2 home win over the Anaheim Ducks. I respect everybody's choice, he said, to, speaking to reporters, according to footage captured by the Associated Press sport writer, sports writer, Dan Gelston. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. He identified his faith as Russian Orthodox. Provorov, who was born in um, Russia and played hockey there, moved to Wilkes barre Pennsylvania at the age of 13. The Flyers announced Tuesday that they would host their annual Pride Night celebration in celebration and support of the LGBTQ plus community after the game. Prior to the game, Flyers uh, players will wear special pride-themed warm-up jerseys and use warm-up sticks wrapped in rainbow pride flag tape, rather, both the jerseys and sticks will be auctioned off by Flyers charities following the game, with proceeds going to Flyers charities and their efforts to grow the game of hockey in diverse communities. Well, Also before the game, the Flyers hosted a pregame skate for local LGBTQ plus youth and officers from the Greater Philadelphia Goal organization. That organization advocates for LGBTQ plus first responders and military members aiming to educate first responders competency and provide community outreach. While well, Flyers Charities presented the um, activist group with a five thousand dollar check and sold special Pride Night autographed mystery pucks for thirty five dollars. The Wells Fargo uh, uh, Stadium uh, Center rather also displayed rainbow colors during the game. The Flyers provided complimentary tickets uh, to the game to nine LGBT groups, including, well, I don't need to go through the names. Well, before Provorov comments, uh, the team released a statement expressing its support for inclusivity and for the LGBTQ plus community. The Philadelphia Flyers organization is committed to inclusivity and is proud to support the community. Well, most Christian churches throughout history have condemned homosexual activity and cross-dressing. Most Christians um, interpret Bible passages such as Leviticus, Leviticus, Um, 18 and 20 Romans one and so on as condemning homosexual activity in verses such as Deuteronomy 22 showing off one's sinful acts attempts to involve others in them should be opposed by the law uh, said the chairman of the church's public relations and information department and the denomination that the player belongs to Russian patriarch Kirill uh, the first has endorsed um, the decision uh, not to endorse the um, uh, the LGBTQ plus community by one player in that game, not by protesting, not, not by making political statements, by simply declining to be involved. Pro, um, Provorov has declined to comment on the Ukraine war, but his decision to sit out the pride night reflects a theological stance that goes far beyond the Russian Orthodox Church. And he is being hammered rather severely for having made that decision. It is a glimpse of the uh, future of being a Christian and living according to your convictions in the days ahead. It's now happening to few. My guess is it will happen to more as we walk um into the future. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, quick break and we'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the second hour of today's program, a conversation with Mary Ho. Dr. Ho is international executive director of All Nations, a global Christian missions organization working to make disciples and church planting in 45 countries, sharing the love of God where the name of Jesus is little known or not known at all. They take the Great Commission seriously. We'll talk with her about that when she joins me in the second hour. And uh, she will be the final plenary speaker this weekend at Mission Connection. Well, this month, Social Security recipients started receiving bigger checks from Uncle Sam all to help alleviate 40-year high inflation brought to you by, well, the administration and company. According to Money, more than 70 million Americans receive monthly checks from the Social Security Administration. The lion's share of them, some 52 million, receive retirement benefits, but the agency also assists disabled workers, spouses and children of deceased workers. A pay increase is good news for all those groups, after all. It's an earned benefit and citizens who pay into the system should receive maximum returns. On the flip side, it's also our largest entitlement, albeit a transfer of wealth that is uh, quite different from, say, food stamps and a majority of um, our federal deficit. But our so-called political leaders can't keep their hands off of Social Security. Well, the lockbox, so-called as our as um was written by Nate Jackson back in November. The glaring irony is that Social Security and Medicare are in trouble if they're not touched. Despite the bill of uh, goods sold by D.C. politicians about all the money you paid into those programs, that money is long gone. Current workers are paying current retirees and the ratio of workers to retirees isn't anywhere near as favorable as it was when, well, swamp dwellers started raiding that lockbox. Well, ideas uh, for, char- for a changing, replacing, or eliminating third rail of American politics has been tossed around for decades, and while some of these ideas are viable alternatives and worth exploring, no one has had the political courage to get serious about Social Security reform. Of course, Democrats are perfectly fine with the status quo or even expanding the entitlement. On the other hand, Republicans have dropped the ball on numerous occasions when they couldn't uh, Rather, when they could have undertaken serious reforms, avoiding the issue is not going to help. Well, the problem is that the that conservative policymakers and Republican lawmakers have largely remained silent in recent years on Social Security, leaving it to the Democrats to spin the issue in their favor. Anytime Republicans mention reforming Social Security, Democrats scramble to the nearest microphone to give, to demagogue uh, to claim that the GOP wants to throw granny off the cliff like they did in that notorious Paul Ryan ad from a few years back. Well, during the 2020 presidential race, neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden had serious proposals. Trump didn't want to touch Social Security, while Biden, for his part, wanted to increase payroll taxes. Neither approach would even begin to resolve the broader issue. Well, back in 2001, President George W. Bush's commission to strengthen Social Security considered freezing future increases in Social Security payments. At the time, it was characterized as an assault on seniors, but in hindsight, it may not have uh, made much of a difference in received benefits. New data from the Congressional Budget Office show that had Social Security benefits been frozen in 2001, retirees' average household incomes in 2019 would have been reduced by just 3.9%. Andrew Briggs writes uh, he served on that. Bush era social security commission back in 2001 when the proposal to freeze future increases was considered. Seniors still would have been a better off than ever before while knowing that social security benefits were secure rather than facing a 20% potential cut when social security's trust funds run out in mid 2030. <coughs> Biggs adds that unless conservatives find their feet on social security reform, Americans will face a nearly one-fifth increase in what they already pay in the largest uh, tax most of them pay altogether. Yet these new CBO income data show that when Americans increase their savings and delay retirement, as most have done, ever-increasing Social Security benefits aren't necessary for seniors to have a secure retirement. Conservative-leaning policymakers need only design Social Security reforms that match this reality." End quote. So we're back to the starting point again, and the uh, many Republican uh, uh, majority in the House has another opportunity. But so far, their only idea is to gradually increase the eligibility age for Social Security. Well, tinkering with an insolvent entitlement is nothing more than kicking the can down the road. And it's time for Republicans and anyone else who wants to uh, lead to develop bold plans instead of resuscitating old ideas that well never work. Americans currently paying into the system and those currently receiving benefits deserve better. And at some point, these lawmakers are going to be held accountable. Well, the House is divided. The Biden administration has changed its uh, tune on the president's home amid a classified document scandal and calling it a ticking time bomb. Arizona residents are sounding the alarm, saying the border is under the control of the cartels and not the U.S. He was persistent. There is a a potential connection between the Idaho College suiting suspect and one of his victims. That was just revealed. Hitting back, elites in Davos are strategizing how to fight right-wing groups. These uh, unelected bureaucrats and uh, very wealthy people are trying to decide what your future should look like. Hmm. Left behind, migrants are leaving their dogs at the border as the historic surge continues. And in a state scathing accusation, GOP representative George Santos from New York claims allegations he used a fake animal charity to scam a disabled veteran by raising money for their dog's cancer treatment only to keep the funds himself are not true. Santos says he has no knowledge of the purported scheme involving a charity he claimed to have founded. Fake no clue who this is, Santos told reporters. His troubles continue to mount. The end is near. Republicans are introducing the pandemic is over act after the president's unacceptable extension of the covid emergency. Reason why he's unemployed. Former CNN host Brian Stetler is being slammed for hosting a Davos panel on disinformation. Money-backing George Soros is tied to at least 54 influential media figures through groups funded by the liberal billionaire. Betrayed, mobs say food brands are threatening kids' lives with the sesame labeling issue. A lot of uh, folks are allergic to sesame, and they don't uh, know when it's in the food they're consuming. The World Economic Forum, uh, Forum rather dubs 2023 a polycrisis. The attendees of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, warned that the world is facing a poly crisis—multiple multinational crises that are interconnected, interconnected rather—and exacerbate each other. And of course, they're going to come up with the solutions. The forum chairman Klaus Schwab he announced the kickoff of the 53rd annual meeting of the political leaders, corporate executives, and activists in Davos, Switzerland. <coughs> Declaring that the summit will focus on rededicating its members to a progressive climate and social justice agenda in the midst of what he described as unprecedented multiple crises. Well, you might apply that to the meeting of these uh, ne'er-do-wells who believe they have the answer for the rest of the world. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And in the second hour, a conversation with Dr. Mary Ho, one of the plenary speakers at Mission Connection. We'll be back in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, Dr. Mary Ho, international executive leader of All Nations, a global Christian missions organization, working to make disciples and church planting in 45 countries. She'll be one of the plenary speakers at Mission Connection this weekend, Friday night, and saturday at sunset church for all the important details and to register go to kpdq.com the event is free but you do need to register in order to attend well the washington dc city council overrides mayor bowser's veto for a bill reducing the penalties for violent crimes the washington dc city council on tuesday voted to override the democratic mayor's veto of a progressive public safety bill that would reduce maximum penalties for certain violent crimes The council voted 12 to 1 to override the veto and impose the measure. But Bowser and her fellow critics argue with uh, will exacerbate crime in the district. The bill would, among other things, eliminate most mandatory minimum sentences, allow for jury trials in almost all misdemeanor cases, and reduce the maximum penalties for offenses such as burglaries, carjackings, and robberies. Law enforcement leaders had expressed concern that it could burden an already-stretched court system and would send the wrong message to residents at a time when the city is struggling with gun violence. Harvard Medical School will no longer participate in university ranking. The school will no longer provide data to U.S. News and World Report for its surveys and rankings of best medical schools. Its dean announced on Tuesday a decision that echoes that of prominent law schools in injecting the influential ranking system in recent weeks. George Q. Daly, dean of the facility of medicine at Harvard University, wrote in a message to the school that the ranking system creates perverse incentives for institutions to report misleading or inaccurate data sets flawed policies or diverts financial aid from needy students to boost rankings. Russia is seeking to boost military recruitment. Russia detailed its plan to boost the size of its military as Ukraine warned of that Moscow may be preparing an offensive and Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky called on western allies to accelerate the provision of arms to the country. On Tuesday, Russian defense minister Sergey Shogou he provided a timetable for the troop increase the Kremlin outlined in December following a string of setbacks on the battlefield and criticism from Russian nationalists. The country's army will increase to 1.5 million military personnel between 2023 and 2026, compared with its current level of 1.15 uh, million and 1 million at the start of 2022. Sheila Jackson Lee introduced a bill aimed at criminalizing political speech by white people. The Rep. U.S. representative has introduced the bill aimed at uh, fighting white supremacy by attaching criminal charges to certain forms of hate speech, which she will define. The Texas Democrat introduced the Leading Against White Supremacy Act of 2023, which aims to prevent the and prosecute white supremacy-inspired hate crime and conspiracy to commit white supremacy-inspired hate crime. The um, conspiracy... Uh, Addition means people who use hate speech online could face criminal charges under the legislation, even if they don't act on their hate speech. And it's very broadly defined as well. China's population shrunk for the first time in 60 years. Hmm. China's population shrank in 2022 for the first time. A new milestone in the country's deepening demographic crisis with significant implications for its slowing economy. The population fell in 2022 to 1.411 billion down some 850,000 people from the previous year China's China's Bureau National Bureau of Statistics announced during a Tuesday briefing on uh, annual data New York is planning to offer free abortion pills in several city clinics New York will offer the medication well of a sort free of charge at four city run health clinics according to Mayor Eric Adams announcing on Tuesday as he laid out an agenda to repair Healthcare inequities, um, inequalities rather for women in the city. He actually said inequities, but earlier this month, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced that retail pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens will be allowed to offer pills that cause an abortion, commonly known as a medication abortion. Medication abortions consist of two pills: one that cuts off nutrients to the developing baby, and one that expels the pregnancy from the mother. It is an abortion. Six percent of California students identify as transgender. It's kind of a chic thing to do. A California public school district has seen a surge of children and adolescents identifying as transgender and non-binary. A new study found soaring numbers um, at California's Davis Joint Unified School District. An average of six percent of surveyed students identified as neither male nor female during 2020-2021 school year. Given the nature of the survey question, this number did not include students who identified as the opposite sex. The White House is still uh, fighting in court to force masking on public transportation. And CNN is moving out of a landmark Atlanta building. CNN is planning to be completely moved out of its downtown Atlanta offices by the end of the year. The news network is moving its Georgia operations to the Warner Brothers Discovery Teachwood uh, Turner Broadcasting Campus a few miles to the north. The closing of the center will remove the network's logo from the downtown skyline, where it's been a fixture for years. New York City Mayor Adams visited the border but fails to call out the president. The New York City mayor has been raising complaints over the number of illegal aliens that have been flowing into his self-appointed sanctuary city. He repeatedly laments that the Big Apple has no more room for an unfair influx of illegals, while at the same time stating that the city will uphold its sanctuary commitment because that is our obligation and that is what's morally right, end quote. Ostensibly seeking a solution to this growing illegal immigration problem, the mayor traveled to Texas to see the southern border for himself, standing in El Paso, Texas with Joe Biden himself, uh, which he visited A week earlier, Adams called the situation a national crisis. However, rather than placing the blame for this crisis at the foot of Biden over his de facto open border policies, the New York mayor called for a more coordinated effort from FEMA to deal with migrants and asylum seekers in the country. He also called for the creation of a national czar to oversee the effort. Paging Kamala Harris. How about telling Biden to do his job and enforce the U.S. border and immigration laws? And uh, that uh, that are already on the books and Kamala Harris, who was appointed by the president as the border czar, which apparently Mayor Adams had forgotten. The Department of Justice is defending a mask mandate on planes and we'll see whether or not they succeed. The Department of Justice declined to monitor President Biden's attorney's search for classified documents at the president's home and the D.C. Council overrides a mayor's veto of the criminal code changes. An ex-GOP candidate has been arrested in a shooting at a lawmaker's home, and feds declined to seek the death penalty against the El Paso Walmart shooter. Team Biden has joined the school library wars, launching a federal investigation, and a second Colorado library is closed due to meth contamination. A man was ordered to remove his Jesus Saves shirt at the Mall of America, Because security said it was offending people. The L.A. Police Department is being blasted for removing a thin blue line flag from a police station. And the Philadelphia Flyers um, defenseman Ivan Provorov faced backlash for his decision to boycott the organization's Pride Night to support the LGBTQ plus uh, community and to celebrate. Meta's oversight board is calling for more inclusive rules on adult nudity. I'm having a hard time. Grasping what they might be suggesting. Former Congressman Adam Kinzinger is selling signed copies of the January 6th report for $100. CNN, as I mentioned, is closing its iconic CNN Center in Atlanta. Well, on this day in history, 1778, English navigator John James Cook He reaches the present-day Hawaiian Islands, which he names the Sandwich Islands. 1911, the first landing of an aircraft on a ship takes place as pilot Eugene B. Ellie. He brings his uh, Curtis biplane in for a safe landing on the dock, rather the deck, of the armored cruiser USS Pennsylvania in San Francisco Harbor. 1919, the Paris Peace Conference held to negotiate peace treaties ending the First World War opens in Versailles, France. 1943, a U.S. ban on the sale of pre-sliced bread aimed at reducing bakeries' demand for metal replacement parts goes into effect. 1957, a trio of B-52s complete the first nonstop round-the-world flight by jet planes landing at March Air Force Base in California after more than 45 hours aloft. 1991, financially strapped Eastern Airlines shuts down after more than six decades of business. 1993, a holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. is observed in all 50 states for the first time. President Bill Clinton in 2001, in a farewell from the Oval Office, tells the nation that America has done well during his presidency with record-breaking prosperity and a cleaner environment. And finally, on This Day in History, 2018, at the end of the visit to Chile intended to heal the wounds of a sex abuse scandal, Pope Francis accuses victims of Chile's most notorious pedophile of slandering another bishop. Francis says he would need uh, to see proof that Bishop Juan Barros was complicit in covering up uh, sex crimes of another Reverend Karadima. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, a conversation with Dr. Mary Hope, international executive leader of All Nations, a global Christian missions organization with workers making disciples and church planting in 45 countries. She'll be a plenary speaker on Saturday night at Mission Connection. Coming up this weekend at Sunset Church. For all the important details and to register, go to kpdq.com. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as we've been discussing here on KPDQ, and you probably are fully aware, a mission connection 2023 is coming to Sunset Church this weekend, Friday night. And all day Saturday, we are so excited about the workshops and the um, the booths that you'll have the opportunity to visit, and the plenary speakers that are all part of this weekend in which we are asking the Lord, Lord, here am I, what next? What are you calling me to do? What direction would you have me go? To call us once again to serious contemplation and a commitment to follow God's leading. Well, among the plenary speakers is Dr. Mary Ho. She is international executive leader of All Nations. It's a global Christian missions organization with workers making disciples and a church planning in 45 countries. Dr. Ho is passionate about completing the Great Commission in this generation by sharing the love of God where the name of Jesus is little known or is known, isn't known at all. She received her Doctor of strategic leadership from Regent University um, in Virginia in 2016, and she'll be the final plenary speaker on Saturday night of Mission Connection. And we are so delighted uh, to have you here on the program today, but are so looking forward to hearing you at Mission Connection this weekend. Welcome.
3: Well, thank you, Georgine. I'm really looking forward to meeting you face-to-face this weekend.
2: Yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. Let me begin with, I think, a question that many of us have about one another. How did you become a follower of Jesus? How did he call you to himself? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, well, I was actually a foreign student. I was 17. I came to the University of Michigan to uh, to study, and I was actually, honestly, a mess. I was... Um, a bulimic at that time I had struggled with bulimia for many years the doctors could not help me and um, some Christian students reached out to me I was I was depressed I but uh, on the day that I asked the Lord to be my Lord and Savior um You know, I went back to the dorm and I thought, wow, I had a really good day. I haven't binged or purged for a day. Wow, I had two really good days. Wow, I had three really good days, a really good week, a really good month. And what the Lord did was I was so unchurched. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know if he could set me free and heal me. But the Lord healed me of bulimia, set me free And I tasted a love that I have never Mm. uh, tasted before. And the Lord also just gave me a great love for His Word. His Word just always um, jumped out the pages and came alive. And um, that's how I started following Jesus. I was not looking for Him, but He pursued me and set me free.
2: Yes. You know, so many of us love God's word. We have become familiar with the Great Commission, but we have lost our passion or even the notion that we can play a role in fulfilling his Great Commission. Tell us a little bit Uh about All Nations, because that really is the heart of this organization. Uh,
3: Yes. So um, I lead a mission organization called All Nations, and we were founded by Floyd and Sally McClung to go to the least-reached peoples and places to make disciples, to raise up the local leaders, and to plant and multiply uh, churches. So um, our passion is to go where the gospel has not go- gone, and our passion is to go where Jesus is not known and loved and worshipped, and our passion is to go where other workers are not working, with uh, no churches uh, where there's, yeah, no active engagement of the gospel.
2: That is such an extraordinary call and commitment. Living in the 21st century, I know, has made some things possible that would have been much more difficult in the past. How has the, the, the fact that you're ministering at this time in history impacted your ability to effectively reach out to groups that have uh, heretofore been unreached or have had little um, uh, notice of who Jesus is?
3: Well, um, I think the beauty of living at this time is um, multicultural teams. Like, for example, we have a team in Hamburg. I think this team has eight different nations. I think we are living at a time where God is literally calling his workers from everywhere to everywhere. So the, the gospel is no longer just from the West. To the rest of the world it literally from everywhere to everywhere and I think what a joy that I get to work with a Nigerian brother what a joy that I get to work with a Brazilian sister a Korean family and so I think that is one of the joys of uh, working in this day and age and obviously uh, faster and easier transportation and communication um, and that's really important because, for example, we, uh, through our ministry, many Muslim refugees in Europe have started following Jesus. And now they are reaching their friends and families back in their homeland that would be hard to send missionaries to. But because there's now the phone, because there's social media, uh, they are using it to bring their families and friends to Christ. Um, back in
2: their homeland what do you say to the one who's familiar with the great commission go and make disciples of the of the earth uh what do you say to those who are familiar with the great commission but think it's more of a suggestion or it's really uh, given to certain segments of the christian population but it doesn't really have much to do with me i'm not called to the mission field and yet i'm surrounded by people from all the nations what do you say to those of us who think oh, i'm not sure it's really possible or that it applies to me
3: yeah, so um, the Great Commission is given really to each one of us, yes. uh, to the whole church, and we. God has called us, the whole church, to take the whole gospel to the whole world, and He has He has asked a few to be goers, like let's say to to go to Pakistan, to India, to places around the world. So some are called to be goers, but all of us are called to engage in the Great Commission. So some of us are called to be senders. Uh, Some of us are called to be mobilizers. I'm a mobilizer. I love casting vision for people to engage in Jesus' Great Commission. Some of us are intercessors. Some of us are teachers and trainers. Some of us have the gift of intercession, so we pray and intercede. Some of us have the gift of giving, and, uh, and we contribute to the Great Commission. But we're all called young and old, men and women, and he has asked us to use um, our gifts. It could be very, very ordinary gifts, right, um, to be part of the Great Commission.
2: Mm. I still am overwhelmed by the fact that God would choose to use us to fulfill his purposes in the earth. You know, I, I know me, I know what my limitations are. I know how uh, unworthy I am. And yet he chooses to to call and use all of us in fulfilling his great commission and, and um, it, experiencing the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and, and joining him in his work. And it's such an exciting thing that I think many of us miss out on out of fear or just not fully understanding how to engage with uh, with God's word
3: right, and that's part of what I'm going to speak on uh Mission Connection, which is God calls the broken, the sinful, the crushed, um, He revives us, He heals us, and we are actually um, more beautiful and more unique um, after He's touched our lives, healed us, restored us, and make us um, beautiful, useful vessels in his kingdom. And that is part of what I'm going to be talking about um, Saturday night.
2: Well, we are so excited about the prospect of coming together as followers of Jesus, seeking him, Uh, through his word and having access to so many people like yourself um, that have been effectively engaged in mission work to help inspire us and uh, help us to open our eyes and ears to what God might be saying to us at this time in this place uh, and how he plans to use us. So I thank you for coming, and we look forward uh, to our time together this weekend. Absolutely. I can't wait to meet you. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Ho. Okay, thank you. God bless. See you this weekend. Bye-bye. Again, Dr. Mary Ho is the international executive leader of All Nations Global Christian Missions Organization, with workers making disciples and church planning in 45 countries. She's passionate about finishing, completing the Great Commission in this generation, and we're going to find out at Mission Connection what role we might play in this great unfolding of what God is doing in this generation, in this place, and around the world. So I hope you'll uh, plan to join us. Again, go to kpdq.com for all the important details. Um, On that conference. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, want to encourage you to join us for Mission Connection at Sunset Church this Friday night and all day uh, Saturday. You can go to kpdq.com. You can also go to missionconnection.global. And that, of course, is spelled with an X Mission Connection, X I O H N. Not global For all the important details. And again, you do have to register, but it is free of charge. Well, Nigeria accounted for 89 percent of verified religiously motivated killings across the world during the 12 month period ending last September, a year marked by a series of um, well incidents across many parts of sub-Saharan Africa, according to Open Doors. The Religious Freedom Advocacy Group on Tuesday released their 30th edition of its closely watched annual list of the 50 countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian. You know, I think a lot about gathering on Sunday morning. I think about Mission Connection, the freedom we have to come together as believers and worship uh, to consider how we might help to bring the gospel to a desperate world and how so few of um, our countrymen or not our countrymen, but fellow believers have that kind of freedom to navigate and to learn and to be taught and to teach others what a privilege we live under and what an opportunity we have anyway, as a deadly situation has been for followers of Jesus in Nigeria, six other countries ranked even worse on the 2023 world watch list with North Korea returning to the number one spot that's held for two decades until briefly displaced a year ago by Taliban ruled Afghanistan. Since 2005, at least half and as many as nine of the 10 worst countries on the list have been Islamic nations. This year, it's no different, with eight of the top 10 and 15 of the top 20 being members of the uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, Somalia, uh, Yemen, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, and Sudan. The only non-OIC countries making the top 10 list were North Korea and Eritrea in uh, first and fourth places, respectively. Globally, more than 360 million Christians suffer at least high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith, according to Open Doors. This one in seven Christians, that's one in seven Christians worldwide. (sighs) Waibo Nikolai who pioneered the first um, WWL three decades ago, said at Tuesday's release of the, um, and in 1993, there were only uh, 40 countries around the world where high to extreme levels of persecution of Christians were recorded. Well, that's changed. Today, this number has almost doubled to 76 countries. So that's a very strong indication of how persecution of Christians has become a much bigger issue, uh, he points out. And it is a sobering one, adding that the intensity of persecution has also increased significantly over that time. Sub-Saharan Africa features prominently in this year's report, according to Open Doors. A wave of religiously motivated violence nurtured in uh, Nigeria has swept across the region, targeting Christian populations at an alarming rate in the countries like Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Mali, and Niger, all of those countries are on this year's um, uh, list. In Nigeria, Africa's most populous country, Christians are targeted for violent attacks by jihadists of Boko Haram and the regional ISIS affiliate, ISWAP, and by radical Islamist Fulani uh, herdsmen as well. They conduct raids on Christian communities. They kill, they maim, they rape, they kidnap for ransom or sexual slavery. Open Doors says reporting the verified religiously motivated killings in Nigeria rose to um, 5,014 during the reporting period from 4,650 a year earlier. Each one, a distinct individual who's made the decision that I am going to submit li- my life to Christ, I am going to follow him at all costs. And it costs them everything. They conduct raids on Christian communities. They kill, they maim, they rape, they kidnap for ransom. And they uh, submit girls and women to sexual slavery. Violence is only one part of the equation, however, with ever-increasing Islamization putting extreme pressure on many Christians in their everyday lives. The report says... Nigeria's government continues to deny this is religious persecution, so violations of Christians' rights are carried out with impunity. In late 2021, the Biden administration lifted Nigeria's designation as a country of particular concern. Governments that perpetuate or condone systematic, ongoing and egregious abuses of religious freedom and the wording of the 1998 International Religious Freedom Act. Despite criticism over the decision last year, it left Nigeria off the blacklist again. Well, Open Doors U.S. Um, interim CEO Lisa Pierce said Tuesday the ministry hopes to see the State Department return Nigeria to the CPO list. The situation there is desperate. Beyond Nigeria, jihadist violence is becoming commonplace across the region, according to Open Doors. The Islamist campaign of terror is fueled by a lethal mix of trafficking changes to the climate and an influx of mercenary soldiers from the shadowy Kremlin backed Wagner group, which is, you know, new to me, but standing strong is the commitment that many of these believers have made. In Afghanistan, Christians continue to suffer under the rule of the Taliban. On last year's list, Afghanistan was in first place by open doors. They says it's dropped to ninth place this year. Um, And that's, um, offering a little bit of uh, improvement after the brutal takeover in 21. Many Christians were executed as the Taliban went door to door to root out believers. Many Christians went deep into hiding or fled overseas. It says over 2022, the Taliban's focus was intensified uh, by rooting out those with links to the old regime, more than uprooting the very small number of Christians remaining open doors representatives um, said of the report At the launch, they urge Christians to pray for their persecuted fellow believers as if we ourselves are being persecuted. They need your support. They need your prayers, says Nikolai. At the same time, I'm convinced that you can also learn from them how to stand strong under difficult circumstances, how to be true disciple of Jesus Christ in the midst of opposition. Among some of the other key findings in this year's report, The Chinese Communist Party has clamped down further on religious groups, including Christians, including the introduction of new rules on churches, use of the Internet and stepped up censorship, disinformation and extreme surveillance. China is the 17th on that list. North Korea, it's back at the top of the uh, of the list. It accounts for its um, uh, highest level of persecution ever following a new wave of violence under the anti reactionary thought law. The Bible falls under the law's ban on foreign published material. Open Door says that the, um, uh, the list, uh, again, this um, world list of persecution is compiled based on research, data from its field workers, in-country networks, external experts, and persecution analysts. The International Institute for Religious Freedom audits each edition of the report. But that's the status of believers across the world. And I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity, uh, to read the uh, the report, the World Watch List, WWL, the World Watch List, again, with North Korea returning to the number one spot. I've had in my career here at KPDQ opportunities to travel a significant portion of the world, um, and much of it under the... Uh, persecution of christians and i've met with underground believers in china and vietnam and elsewhere where the assumption would be that you know we ask how can we pray for you how can we support this church uh the believers here and one would assume the first thing out of their mouths would be we want relief we want rescue we want our circumstances to change but it was never the first thing that they mentioned and in fact generally we would end up mentioning it um, and they would not. The first thing they asked for uh, was prayer. And for many of them, they thanked us for praying because the assumption was that as believers in America, where life is relatively easy, that we would take the scripture seriously and we would be praying for them. So they assumed we are there. We represent Christians from the United States. The scriptures say that we are to pray for one another, particularly those who are uh, being persecuted so they assumed as faithful followers of Jesus, we were praying for them. And I have to admit, I was put to shame because I had not taken prior to those experiences uh, the persecuted believer to heart as I do today. So we certainly have an obligation to pray for them and to support ministries that support them as well. But this world watch list is the latest that has just recently been released, and I would encourage you to uh uh, to check it out again at um, the 2023 World Watch List um, reporting for the the following year. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you haven't already guessed, I'm very excited about this weekend. Because this is Mission Connection 2023. It's more than a conference where you have a notebook and a pad and maybe a Bible under your uh, under your arm and you take notes and you learn some interesting things about what's going on in the world. But it really is a personal experience in which not only are you made aware of how God is moving in the earth, whether or not the Great Commission is being carried out. And the tremendous ministries that are working together to fulfill that great commission. But it's also an awakening, if you will, calling all of us who are present to consider, Lord, what role have you assigned to me to play in the great unfolding of your will in the movement toward the fulfillment of the great commission in the kingdom of God as it's being expressed in this part of the world? Now, many of us think about a missions conference as a sending conference in which you learn about places that need missionaries. You consider whether or not to go short term, long term, and um, you make a decision about where you're going to go. But a mission conference is really about much, much more. I appreciated that Dr. Ho mentioned that there's so many ways that we can contribute to and be a part of what God is doing in the earth and the fulfillment of the Great Commission, calling us to make disciples. Um, that this conference helps us to know if God is calling us to stay home, if he's calling us to use our finances, if he's calling us to move abroad, if there's a mission field right around us, as we have people coming from all over the globe right here to the Portland uh, Southwest Washington area. So we're excited about this conference and uh, the fact that God works within His people during this time to call us nearer to Himself and to give us our marching orders. We're looking forward to the keynote speakers, among them but not limited to uh, William Franklin. He is the um, vice president and associate evangelist of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He's also the uh, executive director of the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. Third generation Graham. He makes it very clear. I'm no Billy Graham, but I am compelled by the Great Commission to share the gospel. He has um, shared the gospel with more than a million people across six continents Since bringing his evangelistic ministry beginning in 2006, we'll also be hearing from Steve Richardson, who was raised in Indonesia, where his parents took the gospel to a jungle tribe, a story documented in his father's missionary classic Peace Child. You might want to check that out before the conference. You'll certainly want to see it after. He and his wife returned to Southeast Asia in 1986. They planted churches there. Among a major Muslim unreached people group, uh, with their team of some 40 co workers, they've developed an innovative approach to church planting called Lampstand. And he's helped start a center for evangelism, various media ministries, English language schools, and much, much more. You heard from Dr. Ho, and there will be others. Uh, I appreciate the worship at Mission uh, Connection because. You just you have to express your gratitude to the Lord as you're hearing these speakers and you're witnessing exhibitors and going to the workshops and you're ex- inspired and excited. Um There's a time of worship where we can express our gratitude back to God. Um, Phil Church from Sunset Church will be leading us in worship. Uh, he and along with his worship team and I may step in and sing a song or two with them as well. So I'm so looking forward uh, to our time together throughout the day. Of course, there are workshops that are sprinkled throughout the weekend. There are a number of tracks. You may want to follow a single track. You may want to jump around a bit. There's an apologetics track. There's business as mission, Christ centered community transformation. There's citywide kingdom collaboration, cross cultural training, developing senders, people who stay, but send a uh, digital disciple making, uh, Uh, discipling new believers, uh, disciple making movements, effective evangelism, ethnic and cultural challenges in missions to name just a few. But there's also the focus on Indonesia, finishing the task, local outreach, missional prayer, missionary care, missions, history in Oregon, preparing your family to serve and go uh, preparing. um, I should say reaching Mormons and Jehovah's witnesses, refugee response, Uh, Salty Storytelling, you might want to look that one up, Short-Term Mission, The Persecuted Church, a track I recommend, Transformative Coaching, and much, much more. All the information about the workshops can be found at the website. You can begin at kpdq.com and that'll link you to the Mission Connection website or you can go directly Mission Connection and that's spelled with an X, -X C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N, MissionConnection.global for all the important details and to register. And again, you are required to register even though the event is free of charge. So I want to encourage you. Uh, to do that and join us now we're going to be broadcasting live from mission connection from four to six uh, somewhere at the um, in the opening of the church I think the lobby where you uh, where you come in so look for us and say hello hopefully not while we're we've got the mic open but James blend and I will be there Sam will be back here engineering uh, the program but we'll have an opportunity to talk with some of the exhibitors and some of the workshop presenters as well so we're looking forward to just uh, hang in there for a little while, and then uh, we'll look forward to the uh, event beginning in the evening. I think it begins with workshops around 5, 530. So I hope you'll plan to join us. I, I should mention, you know, uh, it is free of charge, but it's not because there's no cost uh, to this conference. It's free of charge because there are churches in our community who support this conference. And I'm so grateful that they have um, come alongside and said, yes, we want to support Uh, This mission conference, we are connected to one another in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so they support uh, this ministry equipping the saints. So thank you to the churches who are sponsoring and thank you to Sunset Church that is uh, hosting this year. It's a considerable undertaking to invite a missions conference into your uh, into your home. And Sunset has done that graciously. And we are very grateful for just uh, for for that. So I hope you'll plan to join us. Again, we'll be broadcasting live on Friday and at the conference uh, for the remainder of uh, of the event, Friday night and Saturday. I want to thank James Blind for uh, producing this afternoon and engineering a portion of today's program, and some Sam Moppin as well. Uh, hope you'll join us here tomorrow for the Georgine Rice Show. and thanks for making the show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for
1: listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.